HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate. BrooklynSlate.com for more. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here in studio with Chef Marco Canora. And thank you for bringing this cup of Brodo, which <laughs> m- most people will argue is just stock. But bone broth yes. is, uh, is, is a crazy phenomenon here in New York. And you happen to be ahead of the curve, a trendsetter in, in, in that realm. <laughs> but... I don't want to talk about the good things at first. I want to talk about the bad things. Okay. The vices. I can, uh, I can apologize. There are many. <laughs> because I, I think I, too, have shared those late nights eating burgers, mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes, drinking beers, yep. and then waking up the next day and not eating again until the late afternoon. Yeah, because you went to bed so full. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how did you break that cycle for yourself? It took me a lot of years. Um, you know, what broke it was the fact that I just started feeling worse and worse and worse with every passing kind of week, month, year. And it got to a point where um, I really had to look at things and evaluate things and, and make some tough decisions and change my approach. There was a diagnosis. Uh, a doctor, you went in thinking that you actually were in good physical shape, having gone to the gym, getting muscle definition. Yeah. But what was that internal diagnosis? You know, it was just, and it's weird because it's like we're always looking to, for symptoms, right? And it was just, it was like general stuff. It was like I just didn't feel vibrant. I kind of was never energy. I was never full of energy. I was always kind of tired. Um, I couldn't lose weight. Um, I was like mentally not in a good, you know, depression, just, I I wasn't handling stress well. Um, and I just wasn't being a good leader. I wasn't being a good manager. I wasn't really happy. 
Um, and it was just all these things that, like, you can't really go to a Western doctor and be like, hey, doc, you know, he's like, why are you here today? And you're like, oh, well, he'd no, be like, go get yeah. some therapy. Yeah, no reason. Just <laughs> yeah, you know, it's agita. like, go, go talk to a therapist <laughs> yeah. um, is what they would say. And I kind of had a feeling it was more than just that. I mean, you grew up in a household that actually, you know, was healthy in its Extre- eating habits. Yeah. And, it, you know, your mother's from Tuscany. Yep. Um, I love that in your book, A Good Food Day, uh, there's a little part of your after-school snacks. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> there were no after-school snacks. It was like grape nuts that we kept in the refrigerator and, uh, yeah, and the big wicker basket full of nuts in the shell, literally. With with crackers, um, and that was like my mom's idea of an after school snack, and you know, lots of ridicule when I brought friends over because <laughs> there was no, you know, there were no chips or pop tarts or sweet cereal or, you know, or whatever, you know, little frozen chicken things. Um, there was none of that. No processed food. I mean, my mom was way ahead of her time in this idea of like, you know, local food, whole food. Um, you know, say no to processed stuff. I mean, this is back in the late 70s. I mean, you agreed with that in your 20 years of working in New York City kitchens. You you had that ideology, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I was never a junk food kid. I never ate a lot of processed food. But, you know, listen, I ate a, you know, I ate a ton of bread. That was like the, the vast majority of my diet for over a decade was bread. And... You know, not Ezekiel whole grain bread either. It was like, you know, Sullivan Street sesame bread that's basically, it's white bread. I mean, it's it's fermented long and it's quality flour, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's a high glycemic white bread. Um, and, you know, that's not what you want to feed your body for 80% of its caloric intake. And the other 20% was that cigarettes and coffee. Yeah, coffee <laughs> and butter. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, family meal meat, meaning not super clean meat. Yeah. Back to that trinity of coffee, cigarettes, bread. Alcohol and weed. Yeah. Well, it, it's grown into a you know, quartet. <laughs> um, you know, we were just chatting before the show about the industry itself, and you, you are in a wonderful place um, in, in life. I, I wouldn't just say in business, you know, as a chef, but as a, a husband, as a father. Yep. Uh, your outlook has completely changed about really how has. you operate everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know if it just, part of it is just evolution in life that everybody goes through. You have children, you hit 40, you know, things, perspectives start changing, you know, you want different things out of life. Um, you know, and it sounds kind of, uh, new agey hokey, but it's like, you know, what got me here won't get me there concept. It's like, you know, my twenties and thirties, like, yeah, I was really type A, I was a maniac. I wanted... I was very single-mindedly focused on my career and only that. And it helped me get places and it helped me land, you know, the opening chef job at Kraft. And it helped me acquire investors and open hearth. And, you know, it really, it served me well. But you get to a point where that stops serving you well. And now you need to figure out how to be a better presence and be a better, have a better presence, be a better leader, you know, motivate a team. And those things require a different perspective and a different skill set. Yeah, I mean, do you get together with that opening team of Gramercy with Danny Meyer and Tom Colicchio and see those parallels? I mean, because you're all at these points of your career where 
it's not at all what you expected your career to be. You know, some are in advocacy, some are in expanding a franchise that they didn't foresee coming. Well, I have a long way to go before I could kind of be in the same room as uh, Tom Colicchio and Danny Meyer. Um, I haven't nearly accomplished what they have, but in terms of, you know, they have been great role models, and you know, I've always admired uh, Tom, and I've always admired Danny at their approach, and and you know, what I realize is that you know. Tom wasn't, you know, Tom's not this, like, maniac in Chef White's in his kitchen screaming and, and getting red-faced, um, you know, the way I was for 20 years or 15 years. And it's kind of like you. I, I had this moment of, like, th- this is not working, right? It's like none of this is working. Like, my approach to management's not working. It's not, you know, it's it's really just weighing too heavy on me. Um, people are leaving me. I'm not cultivating a team. And, you know, this striving and this kind of perfectionist, ambitious attitude and approach is not getting me to where I ultimately want to go. So, like, maybe I need to relook at things. Um, and I kind of did. And I relooked at everything from, from top to bottom. It's funny that you mentioned this perfectionist approach because I think you almost did a disservice to yourself on the on, on the flip side when you talk about health because it wasn't about figuring out what worked. You figure out everything else you could do but. Uh, you went to the gym. Uh, you worked out. You pseudo-dieted. You, don't, you, you didn't want to become that rabbit eater, the seller yeah. of the carrots. Yep. Um, but you kind of like circumvented that truth for a while. Yeah, you know, I thought I was doing a lot of things right, and that's and that's where kind of the frustration came in, and that's what drove me to go see a nutritionist, because you know there's there's so much information out there, and it's so goddamn confusing, and I totally empathize with people's like roll their eyes reactions to reading about how saturated fat now is really good for you, and it's kind of like. Oh, go fuck yourself, because, like, you just told me that I was supposed to eat margarine for 30 years, right? The government. And and so many people out there are so frustrated with the world of nutrition and the world of health and the world of wellness. And I understand how and why they got there. But it's like we're in a new world now with so much information. And, you know, I just took it upon myself to do my own research. And at the end of the day... I believe what it is that I want to believe because I could find I could find anything I want to back up my beliefs. So at the end of the day, you just got to figure out what makes sense to you, right? And you can start as simple as, you know, not eating processed foods is probably a great start, right? I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody out there who's going to convince me that shelf-stable at room temperature products are good for you, and trans fats and things that sit at room temperature for years. Like, I don't want to put that in my body. That makes sense, right? I'm sure there's some research science that was funded by Frito-Lay that would prove otherwise. But it's like, that's my point. It's like, research science is flawed in this country. And you have to kind of just, you know, do your own research and kind of trust your instincts. I mean, you, you brought up the example to me before about Brodo. Brodo, bone broth, stock, whatever you may call it, yep. is fresh. It's freshly made every day. It's a fresh product. It has wonderful antioxidants. It has nu- nutrients. It has all these things that these shelf-stable products do not. Right. 
because they've been highly pasteurized so they could sit at room temperature and then you lose all the benefit. So why has this been so hard for people to have done before? Why hasn't this been, you know, incorporated into more people's lives or restaurants or business programs before? Well, listen, I think it has. It's just not in this form, right? Like, you know, every everybody wants to say it, and it's true. Like, this is not new. I mean, broth has been eaten all over the world for tens of thousands of years, right? And it's not it's not that it hasn't been around. It's that I think, you know, no one has treated it like a hot beverage and put it in a coffee cup. And I kind of did that, and, like, everybody, you know, kind of went wild for it. And, you know, I'm a big... <laughs> Lately, I'm a big believer in, like, I control the controllables as best as I can. And, like, what happened with Brodo is an uncontrollable, and I can't really kind of concern myself with it. The fact that it got so much traction and there's so much talk and everybody is in a tizzy. You know, I didn't, I didn't like, fund a huge marketing campaign and hire a bunch of high-powered press people to make this happen. It happened on its own. And, you know, what's going on is kind of insane and it's shocking and I'm kind of, I'm proud that I did it. And and I think it's a very cool, uh, it's a cool thing to bring back something so old school and bring it back to the, into everybody's mind again. Like, I love that I'm doing that. I mean, it speaks to who I am as a chef for 20 years, this idea of less is more and simplicity and whole food and all that stuff, um, but man, the madness that's going on out there and what and the traction that it's gotten and now everybody's jumping on the wagon, it's just kind of nuts. It's funny from an operational standpoint, uh, a lot of the time the things that make a broth, the bones, uh, the bits, the bobbles are surplus or they're like secondary ingredients in a restaurant that you then process into a broth. And now you have to buy this stuff. Well, it's funny, a lot a lot of people out there think that I am I am supplying my window with uh, leftover stuff that would otherwise go in the garbage at my restaurant, and it's so. <laughs> it is not the case at all, right? Like I would need a restaurant that served five thousand people a day if I was going to use the byproduct to supply that window. I mean, we're selling, you know, tens, thirty, forty gallons of broth a day, and it's like I could produce maybe you know, five gallons of broth a week with the byproduct of bones that my restaurant has. So no, I'm, I'm purchasing many thousands of pounds of bones. That's from more of a commercial venue, but let's bring it back into your home kitchen, into your, into your own life. I, yep. I, I've seen your fridge and I know you do have <laughs> these things there. Yeah. Um, I know you have a, a, a well-stocked pantry of, you know, like whole grains and, you know, um, enlightened, food yep that's also a fear of a lot of people you know to to stock yourself up for that kind of success for healthy living mm-hmm. healthy eating um i was lucky enough to work on well yeah as you know that's the whole you. book yeah but transitioning let's talk about that day that your wife coined the term a good food day a good food day um you know, a lot of this has to do with my wife. I mean, she started on this bandwagon, and she kind of encouraged me, and she kind of showed me how delicious it could all be. And I used to give her so much shit about her birdseed bread because I'd be <laughs> like, you know, give me a break with the birdseed bread. Like, I want, I want real bread. Um, but you know, she she really 
it meant a lot to her. She devoted a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of research into kind of navigating through all the information that was out there. Um, I obviously had, you know, the pedigree of a chef, so I understood about quality and shopping and the importance of that stuff. And together, we really put together what I think is a really great home kitchen with all the kind of tools you need and all the pantry items you need. And, you know, back in the day when I was about to pitch the book, I was like, I really, that's what I want this book to be because, you know, there's so much misinformation out there and, and everybody thinks that eating well needs to be uh, surrounded with deprivation. And it's like, it's not deprivation at all. Like I'm a, I'm a fucking hedonist, right? Like I, I love food. I eat food like crazy. I don't need to be hungry to eat food. It is just like a huge part of my life. And, you know, a lot of people are afraid of this idea of eating well because they think that you turn your back on all that stuff. And that's what I wanted a good food day to be. I wanted to prove to everybody that it's like, no, it doesn't mean you turn your back on loving food. It just means you have to educate yourself and think differently about it. So when you think of popcorn, do you instantly think, oh, that's fiber. That's going to clear me out. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I yes, I think about popcorn and then I say, well, let's make sure I put the right fat on it and and let's make sure you know, I'm getting a good quality popcorn that's not some kind of highly mass produced GMO popcorn and then it's great popcorn and I'll grate some really good pecorino cheese on it and put a boatload of uh black pepper on it and put a big hunk of really good grass-fed butter on it and some nice sea salt. And, man, it's fucking delicious, decadent popcorn that I could eat a tub of it until I'm sick. And I'm not going to feel so bad about it, right? Because of you now, kachu e pepeing something is like a yeah. verb in our house. <laughs> right. We always have that hunk of pecorino and uh, you know, butcher crack pepper. Do that to anything. To could do it to anything, but to rice, to popcorn. Something as simple as snacks. Um, most children who go to school have little snack packs, you know, 100-calorie cookies, as you say, um, low-fat string cheese. That, that's not healthy. That's not good eating. No, it isn't. I mean, there's a lot of, again, misinformation. I went to, you know, funny story, I went to uh, a local um, vegan uh, bakery the other day, and I was just curious, and I wanted to check it out, and... Uh, there was this beautiful looking looking uh, pumpkin spice cake in there, and it had a beautiful white icing on it, you know. And I was like, "God, that looks so good and so decadent!" And like, I ordered a piece, and I asked the person behind the counter, "I was like, can you tell me what's in that beautiful icing?" So she pulled out a recipe book and looked it up, and she's like, "Oh, that's made with margarine." And I was like, "Oh, I didn't. I kept it to myself." But I left there, and I couldn't help but think, like. You know, all these like vegans and whatever go into this vegan, gluten free kind of place, right? And uh, and thinking they're doing the right thing, right? They're, they they want to eat well, and they think they're being smart in terms of nutrition, and they're they're eating trans fats. They're eating the fats that are proven to like kill people and give people heart attacks and clog arteries, right? Everybody, you know, the the jury's out and margarine is bad for you. And real butter is the way to go. And it's like, it's just shocking to me that a gluten-free vegan place has 
the thick icing that's made out of margarine. Yeah, I mean, again, that's... that's Misinformed. Exactly, and I think part of misinformation is being overwhelmed by that information at hand, and sorting out what's important to you is the first thing that you should be doing. Yeah. Not trying to follow a complete dogma. Right. You know, it's a very personal... But uh, on certain level, but what's important to you as a human being, right? Because there's certain things as humans that should be important to everyone, right? Like, yes, everyone's different, and we are very complicated biological systems. At the same time, I don't care what biological system you are, humans should not be eating highly processed vegetable oils that are, are turned, you know, that use chemicals and high heat and extraction to produce vegetable oils that are, like, uh, solid at room temperature. Like, the jury's out. Like, the, the science is there. Like, those things are not good for you. And it does, it's not like, oh, it's good for some people. You know, we're not talking about ratios of protein, carbohydrate, and fat and how everybody's system wants a different ratio. So, like, this idea of the perfect diet there's no such thing, right? Everybody's perfect diet is different based on how your body functions. But we can make some conclusions, one of them being, you know, trans fats. Everybody should stay away from trans fats. They're really bad for you. Yeah, I mean, there are universals. There are universals, yeah. exactly. And I think a lot of people want to believe there aren't universals. And and the fact is, is that there are, so... You know, I understand, again, I, I, I have empathy for the people out there who are so frustrated with diet news, but there are some absolutes. Other universals and absolutes are six things that are affixed to the wall at Hearth Restaurant, your food manifesto. And I'm going to read those now, and we'll read the principles of A Good Food Day after we come back from a break and see how closely they align. Because mm. it's really interesting... They kind of do, don't to, they? Yeah, to, to read one which, you know, has dictated your cooking and restaurant life for so long and mm. read another that you've taken out of that environment and into your home. Yep. So, Hearth's Food Manifesto are these six. Buy it with thought. Cook it with care. Serve just enough. Save what will keep. Eat what will spoil. And homegrown is best. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We're proud to count Brooklyn Slate as a business member of Heritage Radio Network. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christie's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. We encourage you to visit brooklynslate.com to learn more. You can also get your own Brooklyn Slate care package by becoming a superfan member of Heritage Radio Network. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Jerkel, here again today with Marco Knorr. And you keep chewing because I have 10 principles to read from a good food day. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so you are having a very good food day at that. That is delicious. <laughs> the ten principles that you have in the book itself are eating must be enjoyable, which it sounds like it is at the Absolutely. moment. <laughs> Cooking empowers you to eat better. Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get through that one. Um, get in sync with Mother Nature. Quality ingredients are everything. Eat real food. Be a conscious eater. And a twinge of hunger isn't going to end the world. Lastly, diversify and make indulgences a guilt-free part of the program. Yep. I mean, you look at the six that you've had for so long, and these ten, and... Those together make a pretty good argument for, I think... uh a great approach to you know eating well, and it doesn't have to be so specific. It doesn't have to be elimination or add exactly. or, but you have to. Find you know that's the death of it. if you put it in terms of elimination or put it in terms of what I can't. It's like it's really limiting, and it really drives people to not stick to their guns. And this notion of like, you know, it has to be a lifestyle change that you get on this bandwagon forever. I mean, that's that's really what it's about. Like this idea of silver bullets and diets. It's just bogus. It's just such bogus nonsense. So you fall underneath the umbrella with Proto of paleo. I mean, broth, yeah, I mean, partly, yes. Yeah, and you see a lot of people that are on this paleo diet come to the window itself. Yep. How does that differ than anything underneath the aforementioned paleo diet that you've seen before? Listen, I don't, I'm, there are tenants of the paleo diet that I totally. Uh, you know, adhere to, and and I think it's smart. At the same time, there's stuff that I totally don't buy at all. It's like, you know, if it if it happened, you know, post industrialization, that it's not good for you. I mean, I think we've done many things that are good for you, and you know, paleo communities are very anti beans, and like, I, I think that that's total bogus nonsense. I mean, have they had your uchiletto beans? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. Yes, there are anti-nutrients in beans, like protective mechanisms of the bean and of seeds and what have you, but we do things as cooks that kind of get by that stuff, like soaking the bean and cooking the bean gets rid of the anti-nutrients. And, you know, as long as you're not swallowing, I don't know anybody who's swallowing beans hard and whole. I mean, that could be toxic and it could kill you. You know, like if you swallowed, you know, 25 raw, hard black beans, like it would wreak havoc on your system. But but it's like that's not what we're doing and we're soaking them and we're draining the water and we're cooking them and I think beans are an unbelievably wonderful food so there's a lot of things that I don't kind of agree with in the paleo world um, lacto-fermentation you do yeah I think the f- fermenting foods um, you know if you look you know and that's the other thing I kind of like to turn my back on the science because I kind of, like, again, I feel like research science has been so flawed in this country. And I kind of look at time and history as a better guide to, like, what feeds me. And it's like, if you look at cultures around the world, there's always, like, this fermented component that you eat with your dinner because it helps digest and break down food in a way that helps you absorb it better, right? And whether it's the pickled ginger that... You know, the Japanese eat with the raw fish or it's all the different sauerkrauts that, you know, those cultures eat with their sausages. Um, You know, there's real historical, timeless evidence that says having, you know, fermented foods with your proteins is probably a great approach. 
And I don't need a research. I don't need to read an article in Time magazine that tells me that that's the case. Just look around over the years. Let's talk about another magazine about how time has changed somebody else. Uh, most recently in Lucky Peach, Chef Jeremy Fox had a yeah. profile. And we've been talking about you know making yourself healthier as far as physically goes. But let, let's talk about the mental capacity. The, mm-hmm. That space is you know, what's really kind of fucked up about the industry because there are so many people wanting to go into kitchens and yep. restaurants and work as cooks and chefs and do exactly what you said that you did that harmed you X amount of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it's cyclical. Like, it's happening again. Yep. It, like, why can't we learn from those mistakes? You know, everybody's kind of on their own path and needs to learn. You know, you can't get, you know, you can't preach to a, uh, ambitious 22 year old cook to like think differently about stuff you know and I find you know at, at hearth it's like I try to like infuse some of my learnings to my young 20 something cooks and it's like listen they don't want to fucking hear it right they're gonna go and you know they walk in with a big uh, you know a big high fructose corn syrup iced tea you know a 20 ounce iced tea full of sugar and eating candy and and Fritos, and it's kind of like, you know, I try to give them a little bit of what I've learned over the years, but they need to get it, they need to learn it on their own. But um, in terms of the mental part, um, you know, if anybody doesn't believe there's a correlation between physical health and mental health, it's like, wake up and smell the coffee kind of thing, right? Like, there is an, there's a, you know, there's no denying the mind-body connection, and... You know, a healthy body kind of equals a healthy mind and vice versa. And you need you need them both. Um, and I, I read that piece about Jeremy Fox and I read his story at Ubuntu and that fame that came to him and how difficult it was for him to process that fame. And he was kind of conflicted because it's like you have this restaurant that wasn't busy, but you had all these accolades and everybody, you know, writing things and winning awards. And he was just like... It was so confusing to him, right? How how you could have one without the other. And, and, you know, it's like the restaurant business is a really weird, fickle, fucked up thing, right? And, you know, and it could really chew people up. And it could really kind of mess up lives, like not only your own, but people you work with. And, and that story really brought that to light. Like it fucked up his life and it messed up his marriage and he burned a lot of bridges and he kind of fell uh, captive to kind of our modern approach to people's problems, which is, I think, incredibly flawed. You know, it's like, you know, just throwing antidepressants at people and creating these cocktails of antidepressants or, you know, treating symptoms and not looking at, you know, not looking at the bigger causes of stuff that you could actually make lifestyle changes and that's kind of the whole idea behind functional medicine and and you know it's a word that gets thrown around a lot but it's like i'm such a believer in this notion of functional medicine that says you know what like treat you know it's like we you know if if we're a tree and one of our leaves goes brown like our system paints the leaf green right and the functional medicine system looks at the dirt and looks at the roots and looks at what you're feeding it and says, like, let's work from that point to figure out how to get our our leaves to be green. 
And, you know, and I feel like that makes so much more sense. That's so easy for me to kind of believe in that rather than here, you have a brown leaf. Well, I've got this awesome color green paint and let's just paint the leaf. I mean, I'm going to use the tree um, metaphor and talk about 50 paces. Okay. Because, I mean, (laughs) it it, it is kind of a perfect segue that you found yourself in this rebranding, this rebirth of yourself and your business, not only with Brodo, but, you know, in splitting with a, a partner who you worked with for years. Yep. And what was something for, what, over 10 years? Yeah, we were partner. Yeah, we had hearth together for 10 years and grew terroir. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at your roots again and trying to figure out how to make it all work for yourself. Yeah, you know, it's funny how everything kind of coalesced and kind of happened at once, whether it's like, you know, the Good Food Day book or Brodo and the split and, you know, the rebranding was a product of the split. Um, you know, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, in terms of the split with Paul, it was like, it really was just time. Like we had both, we had both been in this industry for a really long time. We have both earned our cred, um, incredibly hardworking, uh, passionate or, you know, I think we're all kind of motivated by the right things. And, it was just kind of time where we both felt that we deserved to have autonomy. And thankfully, it wasn't a contentious thing. Thankfully, it wasn't, you know, lawyer up, asshole, like this is done. And, you know, I like to think that I like to think that we did it in the best possible way and really kind of provided uh, were role models for anybody who wants to do it in the future. It's like we talked it over for over, you know, it was almost two years in the making we didn't hire our own lawyers. Um, we we thoughtfully talked about it and figured it out and and looked at what we had and split it up and kind of shook our hands and was like, "This is just part of the evolution of it." And and it feels right and it feels good. And uh, we still talk and I support terroir and he supports hearth and there's no mudslinging and it's kind of fucking great, you know. And I'm really I'm truly so proud of the fact that we were able to navigate through that in the way that we did. Because it's not easy, right? A lot of people want to talk shit and come up with, you know, make up stories. And it's like we controlled it, and we controlled the narrative, and it was truthful and honest, and it worked. And, you know, it happened to coincide with all these other things going on in my life. And it just, it feels, you know, I, I feel really fortunate and... and uh I'm grateful for the position, you know, for the seat I'm sitting in right now. I really am. I'm grateful for this cup of brodo sitting next to me right <laughs> now. Um, I want to talk about the book a little bit more. Okay. You know, there, there are a few recipes in here um, that have that research and that science behind it that you say you don't necessarily rely on. Um, but one has become kind of a, a cult favorite of mine. And What's that? The chicken thighs. Oh, the braised chicken thighs? Yeah. Super easy. Such a wonderful little recipe. But it almost follows that same story that you just talked about business and a separation of yourself and, you know, what was so standardized a way before everyone expected to go on and on like that. How do you take something like a chicken thigh, 
when all the rest of the chicken is usually used and, you know, most people are breast men. I'm a thigh guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, chicken-wise. Um, <laughs> but how do you take these, have a little bit of science, and convince people that this is the protein to eat? God, dude, I didn't, I didn't put that much thought into it. I mean, chicken thighs, I feel like, you know, are an unsung hero in the chicken world. Um, you know, they're readily available. They're affordable. They cook quickly. They're flavorful. They're moist. You know, it's all about, for me, like, my books are all about trying to create dishes that have very large windows of success, right? Because, you know, this idea of cooking, empowering people to eat better and to feel better, it's like, you know, you need to figure out how to cook for yourself. So, you know, my job in Salt to Taste and my job in A Good Food Day was not to kind of flex my culinary muscles and show the world how great I was. But rather, my approach was trying to figure out recipes that were really approachable and accessible with big, huge windows of, of success. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I kind of do that when I, when I think of a restaurant menu. It's like, I don't run Cacio e Pepe at Hearth, right? Because, yes, it's easy, but the window of success is very, very small. And the window of success with risotto too is very very small and it's not conducive to very busy services and certain dishes aren't conducive for home cooks and you know that chicken thigh recipe it's kind of like i dare you to fuck it up you know what i mean and that's what i love about uh the recipes that i've put in my books it's like you know it's really you're really hard pressed to make it awful and then it's just working on levels of getting it closer and closer to like greatness but even the worst rendition the first time you do it is still going to be pretty good so what is on the menu at 50 paces uh uh, that that that's changed from when it was terroir that is within that mode of thinking that wheelhouse um you know i'm doing the braised rabbit with olives that i love so much uh we just bought a grain mill um at hearth that i'm really excited about so we're we're grinding our own polenta and you know to put freshly ground polenta next to a store-bought or polenta um it's just night and day um so the rabbit with polenta is down there the veal and ricotta meatballs are down there you know my goal in 50 paces was really to create a, a little sister to hearth um i wanted people to you know unfortunately hearth has a stigma of being this incredibly expensive restaurant that's a special occasion place and i'm trying to kind of work through how i can get out from under that stigma um but I really saw 50 Paces as an opportunity to kind of offer smaller portions uh, and maybe less complicated food in a much more laid-back, smaller environment that doesn't have the rent that I have on the corner. Um, so it's really a more approachable uh, version, more affordable version of hearth and hearth food. Hopefully this will kind of blow apart that stigma because I think most kitchens that have open kitchens mm. are... are either putting on a show or being transparent. I think you are of the latter. Um, And in your transparency, yes, there is amazing food, but you show how uncomplicated it can be. Yeah. But how precise it needs to be. And my favorite, literally my favorite seats at any restaurant in New York right now is (laughs) sitting there at that little chef's counter and watching that kitchen operate because I know most people say you go to restaurants for things you can't do at home. Yep. Well, I can't 
do it as well as you can do it in that kitchen, even something as simple as gnocchi. But <laughs> it makes me feel like I could by watching you work. Yeah, you could. I mean, listen, just like everything, it just takes time and devotion and commitment, right? Um, and, yeah, those seats have been kind of a blessing and a curse. Uh, they were certainly difficult in the opening years when I was kind of that maniac guy, um, kind of screaming every night. Uh, they were kind of challenging to have people staring at you during those those years. But, um, you know, I love what you said about the transparency because I, I really – that's the best thing about that open kitchen is that people, you know, the transparency of it. And, and you know, my cooks are there and their stations are there and the cleanliness is out there for everyone to see. And we're always, you know, we're always striving to keep it clean and we have a bunch of eyeballs on us. And, you know, I'd like to think that even if we were in a basement kitchen, those standards would still be upheld because, you know, for four years at Kraft, we were tucked down in the basement and that place was like an operating room. So... You know, these are just standards and values that I really believe strongly in. Yeah, and you can go to Hearth, get those wonderful kitchen counter seats, and see Marco in action for <laughs> yourself. Or you can have your own good food day by not cooking only, at home. Cooking at home, not not just buying the book, but figuring out what your place in the world is. Yeah, cook more, and make things. Well, I I will constantly and bone broth in between every meal <laughs> thank you again for being on air you've been My listening pleasure. to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org I'm your host Michael Harlan Turkel hoping to have you here back here next Tuesday at 3 Cheers. thank you Michael thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.